My name is Michael. I serve here as a pastor. I'm very excited that uh, you're here today. Uh, we are in the midst of our fall series uh, called Jesus is Not Part of My Life. Uh, and really the, the big picture, the heart behind this entire series is that we would no longer compartmentalize a relationship with God. We seem to do that in life. We have compartments for everything in life, compartment for marriage and relationships and friendships and work and career and money and uh, and we have a compartment for God. And our heart in this series is we don't want to have a compartmentalized faith, a compartmentalized relationship with Christ, that Christ is a piece or part of our life. He is absolutely all of our life. Uh, we've been going at this series for about six weeks. And so as we start this morning, I wanted us to take uh, an inventory of sorts. Uh, and so I wanted to ask just the question, uh, we've, again, you might be brand new today, but I think, generally speaking, most people uh, get the concept of Jesus doesn't want just a part of our life. He wants all of our life. Uh, so the question I would start with is, well, how do I know if Jesus is just a part of my life or if Jesus is all of my life? Uh, how would I actually know where I am? Like, does he have a piece or part of me, or does Jesus, in fact, have all of me? And, you know, clearly there are a few ways you could answer that question, but I think uh, most often... The most telling answer to that question is found uh, in suffering, uh, is found in suffering, namely our response to uh, suffering. I, I wrote it down in my journal like this, suffering is a revealer. Uh, suffering is a revealer. It has a way of revealing uh, who you are, uh, and it also has a way of revealing where you are as it relates to God. Um, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 26. Uh, we'll put these verses on the screen as well. Uh, but I wanted to just highlight one example, and there's many examples of this suffering being a revealer. But in Matthew 26, uh, we come across a story with Peter. And Peter has been living, spending time with, learning from, watching, observing Jesus for the better part of three years. And this is at the end of Jesus' life. Uh, and this is a story that happened uh, to Peter uh, the night before Jesus was being betrayed. And ultimately, the next day, he would be crucified and, and killed. Uh, and verse, start at verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came over and said to him, You are one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you are talking about, he said. And later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed and said to those staying around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man. Verse 72, and again, Peter denied it. Uh, verse 73, a little bit later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I am lying. I don't know the man. Now, in that moment, uh, Peter's either fear of suffering, he was watching what's going on with Jesus, uh, and his fear of if I say I'm with him, if I say I know him, if I say I'm one of those that is following him, the fear of what might happen to me, what might I have to endure, what might I have to go through, the fear of suffering led Peter to say, I swear to you, I don't even know who that guy is. It's like, Peter, really, how could you say that? Well, suffering is a revealer. It reveals often who we are, and it often reveals where we are with God. Now, this morning, my heart in talking about a very difficult subject or topic 
of suffering is, I'm convinced that God allows and God uses suffering in our lives uh, to help us go all in. Because Jesus doesn't want to be a piece of my life or a part of my life. Jesus wants us to get to the place where we say, with confidence, passion, and conviction, he is my life. Jesus is my life. And on the road to making that declaration, that confession, Jesus often uses suffering to get us there. Now, this morning I realized that uh, just the thought of talking about suffering is just, it's already burdensome. It just feels really heavy because you're in the thick of it right now. Like the storm, you never asked to be in it, but you're in the storm right now. And it just feels like there is absolutely no end. The clouds are dark, the waves are getting bigger, and you just feel the weight and the heaviness of the storm. And so I know that. And I know some of you may have just been fresh off or fresh out of the storm where you're still a little wet. And so the thought of even thinking about or talking about suffering just, just brings up past pain, old memories. Uh, and I realize that for some of you, we don't know this, but this might be the week or the month where God allows suffering into our lives. And so I realized for me personally and for all of us, this is a really personal and a very difficult subject to talk about. Uh, and my heart is not to discourage anyone or make anyone feel any heavier uh, than you might already feel. My hope in this morning is simply to do two things, is to encourage you, is to be a voice of hope. Uh, no matter where you are and no matter where you've been or where you might be, is to be a voice of encouragement in your life. Uh, and secondly, my hope would be to equip. Uh, if it's true that God uses suffering in our lives to lead us away from a compartmentalized life or compartmentalized faith, then I want to encourage, but I also want to equip of, then how might I walk through suffering? If God's gonna use that in my life to bring me to a place of being all in, no longer peace or part, then how could I walk that road of suffering well? Uh, I wanted to share with you, as I've done in the past few weeks, uh, some observations that have been helpful, uh, observations that have been challenging for me and uh, very personal to me. Uh, so these, my heart, by the way, in today is clearly I'm not going to say everything that could be said about suffering. I'm not approaching this from a philosophical of how could a good God allow evil in the world and suffering and pain. I'm approaching this, just so you know my heart, in a very personal way. Uh, and so these observations have been critical to my growth and critical to my understanding of how God actually uses suffering. So my first observation would simply be this. Uh, suffering is a painful reality for all people. Suffering is a painful, and I put in all caps, painful, because it's hard. Uh, it is really hard. Uh, suffering is a painful reality for all people. Um, Jesus made clear that if we would follow him in this world, that we would have suffering. In John 16, Jesus says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus made very clear that in this life, in this world, the nature of the world we live in, there will be pain, there will be trials, there will be storms, there will be sorrow, there will be suffering. But then Jesus says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, I think what's often shocking to me, at least, is not that suffering's a reality, but that people are shocked when suffering actually happens to them. So I know that suffering is going to happen. I've gone through it, and I know I will go through it again. Um, 
Jesus promised us that, but I think the shock comes from a belief that we can control the events of our life to steer clear of suffering. And I just wanted to encourage you, challenge you, maybe remind you that you can't. Suffering is a reality. It's a painful reality for all people. Tim Keller, in a probably the most helpful book to me personally, uh, he wrote a couple years back, or a year and a half, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And he said this, No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money or power or planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship, betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Do you feel encouraged? <laughs> well, thanks, Dr. Keller. But I'm thankful for his book, and I'm thankful for that part of the book because he was just trying to remind me and any other one who would read it, suffering is a painful reality for all people. I think we think if we do certain things, we can somehow uh, avoid suffering in our life, but we can't. Now, I share that, and again, I'm going to guess that's not like a new thought to you, but I realize that suffering might not be your reality right now, uh, but why I wanted to start with this observation first and foremost is because it might be someone that you know, that we all know people, and I promise you, there is at least one, if not many people in your life right now, if you're not in the midst of it, that there are people who are sitting next to you, who work next to you, who live next to you, who are in a great deal of pain and hurt and suffering. And if we're not aware of that, then we'll ignore it. Because our focus often tends to be on, I just want to avoid suffering, pain in my life, but I want you to be aware that it's a painful reality for all people. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in uh, I think one of his most painful um, books that he wrote uh, called A Grief Observed, uh, written right on uh, the heels of his wife dying, uh, said this, not only writing, but even reading is too much. Even shaving, what does it matter now whether my cheek is rough or smooth? Now that, uh, not that I am in much danger of ceasing to believe in God, the real danger is coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there is no God after all, but, so this is what God is really like. Like, there are people who are hurting. There are people who, similar to C.S. Lewis, are going through a great deal of pain and hurt and sorrow and storm and trial and suffering. And suffering has a way of either drawing us really far away from God or has a way of drawing us really close to God. So a question that I would have for each of us is how has suffering shaped you and your understanding of God, thus your relationship with God? Suffering is going to have a huge impact on you. It will. But it will either impact you to say, well, God must not be good because if he was good, he would not allow me to be doing this or living in this situation or enduring this pain. So suffering is not without impact. So the question would be, how has suffering shaped you? and your understanding of God, thus your relationship with God. A second observation uh, that I would give, and this will, this is 
hard to even say, but it's, uh, it's lessons learned from my own life and uh, from those that I've walked with. Suffering is often used to free us from our own narcissism. And I just highlight often, I am not suggesting by any means that when suffering comes, it's, a, it's because of our narcissistic tendencies. I'm not saying that. But it would not be incorrect to say that it doesn't happen. Often, God uses suffering in our life to wake us up to our own narcissistic tendencies. I think the hard reality that suffering teaches those who go through it is that God does not exist to make you happy. And I think we often think he does. Like God's job, if he had a job description, is make us happy, make us comfortable, make us things convenient, make things run smooth. And that's not jobs, God's job uh, description. Um, I think what's obviously very challenging about this is, let me ask this question, I guess. Uh, when suffering has come, uh, as you look back, whether it's just fresh this week or over the past few months, if you've gone through suffering, how long does it take to formulate the question, how could God allow this to happen to me? I think it happens so quick. doesn't matter whether it's a massive storm uh, or maybe a subtle storm, but how often do we just, our hearts, our minds go to, how could God allow this to happen to me? And what's behind that question is the thought, what have I done to possibly deserve this suffering? God owes me, and I certainly don't deserve this. And so I think the challenge about suffering is God will use suffering often, not always, but use suffering to free us from our own narcissistic tendencies. Tim Keller, again, quoting in his book, uh, Walking with God uh, Through Pain and Suffering, said, if our lives do not go as we planned, well, it's natural to question the wisdom of God. But our indignation is greatly magnified by an unexamined premise that God, if he exists, exists to make us happy as we define happiness. I think if I'm honest with myself, and I would encourage you to do the same, I am really obsessed with me. I think about me a lot. I think about my life a lot. I think about what other people are thinking about me and thinking about my life a lot. I have a very narcissistic self-absorption to just be thinking mostly, primarily about me. And I've seen in my life and I've seen in the lives of other people, God will use suffering to awaken me to that reality and set me free from it. Uh, Tully and Chavinjan, who's a pastor in, um, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, has written a lot of books and I've quoted him many times before, but in his book called Glorious Ruin, uh, he talks about uh, the deepest pain and suffering that he ever went through. And on the other side of that suffering, uh, this is what Tullian said, he gave me the gift of suffering. God did not rescue me out of the pain. He rescued me through the pain. And I just, I loved what Tullian said, and it was on the other side of his suffering. He said, he gave me the gift of suffering. And I think he, and he went on to say, Christians serve an unrelenting God who graciously disallows full lasting satisfaction in anything but him. And he often brings this about through affliction, our hearts being so hard and stubborn that nothing else will do the trick. Again, I'm not saying, and I just want to be very clear on this point, that the reason behind all suffering is because of narcissism. Okay? 
But God does love you enough. He loves me enough to allow suffering in our life to lead us away from self-love to loving the Savior more than anything. So that is a hard observation, but it's learned from my own experience and learned from experiences of others that suffering is often used to free us from our own narcissism. You may have heard this, uh, C.S. Lewis say this in his book, Problem of Pain. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. His, uh, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so God often uses suffering in my life to say, Michael, wake up. Wake up to the reality that you are not the center of this world. I am. So a challenging and a hard uh, observation, but God has used suffering to set me uh, free. Uh, number three, and finish with this observation, is God is closer than you think. Suffering has a way, when we're in the midst of it, to lead us to think or to believe or formulate an idea that God is really distant right now. And I just, I wanted you to hear somebody say, because I realize some of you might be in the midst of it, um, that God is closer than you think. Psalm 34, King David says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I realize because you feel that God is absent, it does not actually mean he is absent. It's actually in our brokenheartedness. It's actually in the storms and the trials that we go through that we experience a presence of God that we would not have otherwise unless we were in the midst of a storm or in the midst of a heart breaking. This is, uh, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. It's interesting to me that uh, I've talked about this a lot with other people because uh, I've gone through a lot of suffering with people. Uh, is there are people who ask the philosophical questions of why? Why, if God is sovereign, if God is powerful, if God's in control and he can do all things, and why is he allowing this? Clearly, he's not good. And th that's a fair question to ask. Uh, but often in the midst of pain and storm and trial, the questions change from being very philosophical um, about suffering to very real, very practical, and really personal. How do I, how do I survive this? Like, I'm, I can't even wrap my head around why. I'm just, how do, I, how do I endure this? How do I deal with this? How do I live with this, this pain, this hurt, this trial, this storm, this suffering? And I think what God wants you to hear, what he wants me to hear in the midst of pain and suffering is simply this. You're not alone. I'm with you. And I really want some of you to hear that today because I know the storm is heavy and the suffering is just deep. I want you to hear you are not alone. I am with you. Bible never promises that you and I will have a happily ever after ending to our suffering here and now, but what the Bible does promise is what we need most. And what we need most is not an escape clause, uh, is not an avoidance. What we need most in the midst of a storm, a trial, a suffering is the presence of God. And that is the very thing that God gives us in ways we never have known or experienced without having gone through suffering. Isaiah chapter 43. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. 
the flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That to me has reassured me so many times personally, but also with other people, that you're not alone. Yeah, you will be in the midst of a storm and it will be hard. It will be very hard, but you are not alone because God does not abandon us in the midst of pain and suffering and sorrow. And it's easy to conclude when that season, in that season of suffering, that God somehow does not care. But I can tell you that in the midst of your deepest sorrow, pain, suffering, whenever that may be, God demonstrates his care, his concern for you, and say that I'm with you. Peter Kreeft, who's written uh, a lot on the subject, he's a, uh, a professor at Boston College, said this, even when God doesn't immediately tow us out of our suffering, the fact that he's with us in it uh, is at least the most impressive and satisfying answer to the problem of suffering that I know. God doesn't give us a lot of words to answer the problem of suffering. According to Christianity, he gives us a single word, and his name is Jesus. And what he's saying is he doesn't give us explanations. He doesn't want us to always have explanations. What he gives us is what we need most, and what we need most is Christ in the midst of our suffering. The author of Hebrews says it well. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us. Why? Well, because he suffered. And he's able to help us in the midst of our pain, our trial, all storm, our suffering. At the very end of Tullian's um, suffering, again, he's telling the story of uh, just some really heavy stuff, hard stuff that he had to go through. This is what Tullian said. God meets people in their suffering rather than on the other side of it. Well, it takes someone who's gone through suffering and on the other side to see God actually met me in the midst of my suffering he wasn't just like waiting for me on their side and like, man, suck it up. Like you can do it. You can get through it. Like just you're doing great. God is not your cheerleader trying to applaud or clap you through your pain and your suffering. He's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not alone. You are not abandoned. I'm walking in the midst of your pain and your suffering because I've gone through that and I am with you. God meets people in their suffering rather than on the other side of it. Now, these are just not uh, an exhaustive list, clearly, of observations that could be main, made about suffering. But I call these critical observations because how you understand suffering is largely going to determine how you walk through it. And I'm convinced uh, that God uses suffering in my life and will use suffering in your life to take you away from having a compartmentalized relationship with him. God doesn't want that for you. What God wants for you, for me, for all of us is to say, I'm all in. He doesn't have a piece. He doesn't have a part of me. But Jesus, God allows suffering to get us to the point where he's no longer a part or a piece of our life. He is our life. And so I just, in closing, I'm going to share with you two, uh, two ways. And again, these are personal to me uh, of what do I do in suffering? Like when suffering comes, how do I understand it? How do I walk through it? Like, how do I even think about suffering? I'm just going to share with you two uh, thoughts, again, personal to me, uh, but also very consistent uh, with what I see in the message of Scripture. And the first thing is, uh, is this. Uh, God uses our suffering, character of Christ in you. And what I mean by that is when suffering comes, and it will come, 
and for many it has come, is what God is often doing with suffering, through suffering, is forging or forming character that is consistent with Christ. His goal, his desire for you, for me, is that all of us would reflect that we would look like Christ in, in not just a piece of our life or part of our life, but in all of our lives. Uh, this past uh, Monday or Tuesday, I was uh, in, in the Psalms, just going through daily devotions, and uh, I was in Psalm 105. And as I'm reading through Psalm 105, the psalmist is retelling the story of how God has been at work um, in the people of Israel. And he talks about the story of Joseph. And you come to Psalm 105, verse 19, and it says, Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And I'm sure I had read that before, but when I read that, I was like, oh, man. Like, if you're familiar with Joseph, Joseph was kind of a cocky, arrogant kid. He was the younger brother, and youngest children usually tend to be that way. And I am the youngest child, so I can speak to that. True confessions. Um, but Joseph, if you're familiar with him, was arrogant enough to say, hey, here's the dreams I had. I'm going to rule over all of you. You will bow down as I will be the uh, authority over you. Now, these were dreams that God had given to him, but he was very quick to let everyone know about his dreams. And clearly, if you're the older brothers, well, you don't like your little brother saying that. And so his brothers made very clear, hey, we don't like you and we don't like your dreams, so we're going to get rid of you. And, sus and thus began Joseph's journey of what I would just call a journey into the heart of suffering. Completely betrayed by his brothers, left for dead, sold into slavery, spent time in prison. And all of this time, Joseph is wondering, God, why am I here? Like, why this storm? Why this pain? Why this suffering? And then I come across Psalm 105. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Your character, my character, it matters to God. Tim Keller, in a different book called The Reason of God, spoke about Joseph, and he said, Joseph's character was refined and strengthened by his trials. If God had not allowed Joseph's years of suffering, he never would have been such a powerful agent for social justice and spiritual healing. God had to take him through the storm of suffering, feeling neglected and abandoned, left for dead, so that his character would begin to reflect that of Christ. Now, let me ask a very challenging question. If you squeeze a bottle of ketchup, what comes out? Yeah, it's okay. It's not a trick question. You can, it's ketchup. If you squeeze ketchup, I promise you, ketchup will always come out. Here's the challenging question. When you get squeezed, what comes out? Like suffering has a way of squeezing us. And when we get squeezed, something is going to come out. And so I think the question is, when you do get squeezed, and again, this could be a huge monumental type of suffering or it could be something a little smaller, but when you get squeezed, what is it that actually comes out of you? Because what God wants to come out of you is character that is consistent with Christ. If you're familiar with the story of Job, a man who is very familiar with suffering and pain and trials, in the midst of his story and his suffering, Job is clueless, has no idea what God is doing, and in fact, doesn't even know where God is at. And he says this in, in Job 23, if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I don't see him. 
When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him, but he knows the way that I take, and when he's tested me, it will come forth as gold. And I love that. I love a man who's able to say, I have no idea where God is right now. I cannot even, I have no clue. Every time I turn around, looking in every direction, trying to figure out where is God, what is God doing, what is he up to, I have no idea. But that's okay, because I know God knows where I am. And I know that whenever God is done in this season of suffering and allowing me to go through this, I will come forth the other side as gold. My youth pastor shared uh, an illustration with me that stuck with me for years. And he said, Michael, do you know uh, when a goldsmith knows uh, that the gold has been completely purified? And I was like, well, I've never been a goldsmith, so no, I don't. Uh, And he just said, when the goldsmith can look over uh, the, the gold and the, the, the pot and how it's been heated. And when he can look into that and actually see a reflection of his face, a clear reflection of his face, he knows that the gold has been completely purified. Everything that has been impure has been burned off and is gone. But when the goldsmith looks and sees, ah, oh, gosh, that reflection's kind of fuzzy. I can't see a clear picture of my face. It needs to get hotter. And it needs to stir longer. But when he can see a reflection of his face, he said, Michael, that's kind of how suffering works. Your character matters to God. And he loves you enough to bring suffering so that when suffering comes, he will stir the pot a little bit more until, Michael, he sees a reflection of his son in you. Elizabeth uh, Elliot said it well. Our vision is so limited. We can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself uh, in protection from suffering. But the love of God did not protect his own son, and he will not necessarily protect us, not from anything it takes to make us like his son. I wanted to highlight, not from anything. God will do whatever it takes in your life and my life to make us look more, reflect more, the character of Christ. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into that process. Now, as I think about that and thought about that for a while, Part of me is like, God, clearly there's got to be a better way. Like, do you really have to go through a broken marriage, failed dreams? Do you have to go through financial hardships and getting fired? Do you have to go through all of this loss of loved ones? Do you have to go through sickness and illness? And like, God, can't there be another way? Like, God, there has to be another way to purify and refine me. I think God says, Michael, I love you enough to say no. The best way that you will be refined is through suffering and through hardships. Uh, Rick Warren in his book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, said it so well. Since God intends to make you like Jesus, he will take you through the same experiences Jesus went through. (laughs) So simple, but yet so powerful. God intends to make you like Christ. He will take you through the same experiences Jesus went through. That includes loneliness, temptation, stress, criticism, rejection, and many other problems. I know this is not easy, okay? So I feel the weight of it. But I'm just thankful that God is concerned about my character and he's concerned about me looking more and more like Christ. And if it takes suffering in my life to get me to the point where the father can see a reflection of the son in my life, then I'm okay with that. My challenge to you 
especially if you're in the midst of it right now. I know it's tempting and often easy. Just, God, take this away. Like, please take this away. God, get me out of here. Or it's just tempting to have the attitude or the, the thought like, I'll just deal with it. Suffering, it is what it is. And just have an attitude where your heart actually gets harder as you go through it. This is just my lot in life. My encouragement, my challenge for all of us, whether you're in the midst of it right now or it comes tomorrow when suffering comes, do not ask God to say, God, will you please take this away from me? Will you get me out of this? My encouragement and my challenge would simply be, God, would you please use this to refine me? Because think about this for a second. Why would God answer a prayer if you're in the midst of suffering to take you out of it if he's using that very thing as the object of refining you so you look like Christ? God is saying, stay where you are because I'm with you. And on the other side of the season, whether it's two days, two weeks, two months, two years, I will walk with you every step of the way. God uses suffering to take us from living a very compartmentalized life, Jesus is not part or peace, to get our character consistent where we look like Christ in every which way. The second way that uh, we can walk through suffering and understand suffering uh, is, I wrote it down like this, compelling others towards Christ. Compelling others towards Christ. A challenging question. If you knew that your suffering would be used by God to bring someone else to God, would you be okay with that? Like, there's something in us, at least in me, that's, you know, I want to be heroic and be like, yeah, absolutely, bring it on. I'll take a double dose just so I have the appearance that I'm like this tough warrior for Christ. But if I'm honest, I'm like, no, I don't want to go through more suffering. If Jesus is a part of your life or a piece of your life, then it's going to be very difficult to see God using suffering in your life to bless, to benefit, to lead somebody else to him. And generally speaking, you'll do anything and everything you can to avoid it. But if Jesus is going to be all of your life, it means that your life is God's to use. And if God wants to use your life and use suffering in your life to compel somebody else towards beginning a relationship with Christ, then allow the suffering to be used, uh, not to be wasted. Uh, Philippians, Paul, a man who was very familiar with suffering, suffered a lot. And I love how he says this from, from jail, from prison. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, I want you to catch that, everything, everything that's happened to me, he sees through the lens of everything that God has allowed, all of the beatings, the persecutions, the mockeries, the abandonments, everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ and because of my imprisonment. Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul had a perspective that his suffering, his pain, had an incredible purpose. And the purpose was it was being used by God to compel other people towards God. Many people, when you do not see the purpose in your pain, are led to greater despair. 
But when suffering comes and you're in the midst of it, if you understand that God is using your pain, using your suffering to grow character in you and to compel other people to you, that will change how you walk through suffering. I introduced you to my friend uh, Dave Chilcote uh, last week. Uh, if you weren't here, he was a friend of mine who was diagnosed with ALS uh, a few years back. And from the point of his diagnosis, it was two years before he died. And if you know anything about ALS, it's, uh, it's horrific, absolutely horrific disease. And uh, Dave, when he found out that he was diagnosed with ALS, began writing a journal. He wanted to have a story uh, to share with his wife and his kids of how he walked through uh, and all that he learned about God through ALS. Uh, and this journal entry was uh, about two weeks before the Lord uh, took him home. And he said this, Lord, I'm suffering. But you know that. I am in desperate need, but you know that too. Lord, I am in prison, but you know that also. Lord, you know everything about me, for you are right here with me. Every minute of every day, you love me. You know that I cannot breathe. You know that I cannot walk. You know that I cannot even dress myself. I want you to hear this. May you use every ounce of my suffering to bring you glory. And may you use my weakness to bring others to understand how awesome your grace and your forgiveness is just encourage you through my friend Dave, but I encourage you that your suffering will not be wasted. That God uses our suffering, our pain, our trial, and I love Dave's heart. God, please do not let this be wasted. I can't walk. I can't even breathe. Please do not let an ounce of my suffering be wasted. God, let it be used to show other people how amazing your grace is. Now, I realize that we cannot always see or understand God's purpose in the midst of suffering, but lack of vision or understanding does not mean that it's not there. I introduced you to Joseph a few minutes ago. Here's what Joseph said on the other side of his suffering saying to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Well, he didn't say that when he was in prison. He only saw that on the other side of suffering. But he came to the realization that God used his suffering for the good, the salvation of many, many people. This is what's really hard about suffering is we can't see the purpose in it. And so we assume that there is no purpose. Peter Kreeft in um, a book, Case for Faith, said this, the death of God himself on the cross, at the time, nobody saw how anything good could ever result from this tragedy. And yet God foresaw that the result would be the opening of heaven to human beings. So the worst tragedy in the history brought about the most glorious event in history. No one at the time could see how Jesus' death on the cross would be used to open up heaven to all of humanity. But we see now the purposes of God in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So let me ask the question one more time. If you knew your suffering would be used by God to bring someone else to God, would you be okay with it? 
Because if you are all in, not a piece of your life, but a part of your life, you will say, God, my life is yours to use. And if it means using suffering in my life so that somebody else would see, I'm okay with that. Dave Chilcote, one of his last entries, said this, the impact of God's faithfulness in our situation has been phenomenal for our whole family. If I had to choose between going back to our previous lives or continuing to have ALS, having learned what I have learned so far, I would choose the disease. And I know for some of you are like, that is so backwards. It just doesn't make sense that someone could say at the tail end of a horrific, ugly, devastating disease such as ALS, I would choose the disease. Unless, from his perspective, you could see all that God has done, the purposes of God and what he had been accomplishing in and with his story. Because Dave said, my life is not mine. My life is to be used by however God wants to use it. If God will use my story, my suffering, my tragedy, so other people see how amazing God is, then I am okay with that. And I can tell you what, from personal experience, but from walking with a lot of people through pain and suffering, when people are going through it, I generally, I, I come alongside and I say, what you're going through right now, I just want you to know that God is gonna use you, whether it's two weeks, two months, two years from now, to walk with this same thing, walk uh, with what you're going through with somebody else. Time and time again, I've seen people who've gone through hardship are used in someone else's life who's going through a very similar hardship to encourage them, to love them, and to serve them. Second Corinthians, Paul says, God is our merciful father and our source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. I realize that uh, this morning... I know it, it feels heavy. I'm crying a lot. I just, I'm thankful though, you know? I'm thankful that God's used suffering in my life to help me to go all in. I don't want to live a compartmentalized life. I don't want to have a compartmentalized relationship with God. I don't want to have a character that is so jacked up you can't even see Christ in it at all. And so I'm thankful, and I mean this sincerely. I'm thankful that God's allowed hard things. I'm thankful for the storms and the trials because I've got a long way to go, but I know I don't look like I used to. And if it means there's more coming, I'm okay with that because I really want to look like Christ. In my heart that you would as well, not just a piece of your life or a part of your life, but all of your life would say, I just, I want to look like Christ. I want to reflect in my life an image of the Son, back to the Father. And if somehow, some way, God will use this storm, this trial, this pain, this suffering, this sorrow to compel somebody else to see Jesus, then I'm okay with that as well. 